It's funny because um, as, as I was walking here this morning, I thought to myself, all right, my first hurdle is going to be these three steps here. And I thought I just needed the, the strength enough to be able to just get up those three steps. If I did that, then I, all right, I'm, I'm on my way. And it's funny because last, uh, last week I, I woke up, I had the weirdest dream. Um, I was, we were in a car, a bus, a truck, a plane, I'm not even sure what it was. Debbie was there, um, I think there were animals were there, and, and my brother Steve was driving. And it was funny because all of a sudden he was up there driving and he was complaining about something, and, I, and we're, I'm like, you know, what, what? And all of a sudden we just started hearing clip, clip, and I was like, he's up there clipping his nails while he's driving. Like, you know, you have these weird dreams and you don't know how to make sense of them. And then, as I was coming up here this morning, I thought, I had this dream, how surreal this is. I mean, my family is here, you're all here, I'm here wearing funny socks, and Pastor is there. He should be here. <laughs> and I'm here this morning, and, and no matter how I, you know, maybe I'll wake up and we'll change places, but, but I'm here this morning. But thank you. Um, every year we go through hurricane season on this side of the Atlantic. Last month, Hurricane Dorian came out of nowhere in the Caribbean. It demolished the Bahamas, and it, it wreaked havoc on the U.S. coast. And when I look at a picture like that, you always look at those huge storms, and you look at the landmass that's there. It's just incredible. God's power is just so awesome. And it's funny, in this age of weather tracking, you know, we all complain a little bit when even the, the weatherman tells us that the storm is going to come and, you know, maybe he said it was going to come at three, but we complain a little bit because it came at five. I'm always amazed when I look at a storm like that and I think, what did people do 150 years ago when a storm like that was coming and they had no idea that it was on its way? They had no clue that it was coming. So we buy computers. You know, we put all of our important information on them, you know, and we, and we look at our computers and there are times, you know, my computer's getting a little bit older, so every time I press that button, I'm always like, you know, you're going to start. And, you know, we buy virus protection. We buy protection for our computers because there's, you know, malicious spyware out there and there's, there's, there's terrible things that can happen, you know, on the internet. And we look at our computers and you know, all of that information we want to keep protected. I've got important documents, I've got precious pictures of my family, and I want to keep that protected. They say that Lawrence Taylor was the greatest defensive back to ever play the game, and that he even changed the game. He changed the position. But would you ever square up against him without your helmet or without your shoulder pads? But how often? No. And a baseball catcher he gets fastballs hurled at him, traveling over 100 miles an hour. I think this ball hits the catcher and the umpire. But how often would you stand behind the plate without your helmet, without your face mask, without your full gear? Paul's letter to the Ephesians warns us of this battle and the evil forces that we're up against and how we need to prepare. As we endure this never-ending struggle, it's important to remember that this battle starts on our knees, praying for the strength that only Jesus can provide. I have to tell you, my church family, as I was preparing to write this sermon, 
there just seemed like there was always something happening in my life that was causing me either not to be able to study properly or not to be able to prepare properly. And even, even this week, you know, and I've talked to you about some of the struggles that I've had at, at my job, and even this week, it, it, it probably got to be the absolute darkest in that particular situation. And it was funny, I, I talked to Sean this week and I, I called him and I said, you know, I was telling him about my situation and he said, you know, I have to be honest with you. He said, anytime anyone's going to be preaching about spiritual warfare, it seems as if that's when the devil wants to come and get you the hardest. And I would say that that definitely happened this week. It's, it was uncanny the way it happened. But some days it was hard to keep on track. And some days for very good reason. But some of it actually felt like there was something against me causing me to procrastinate, causing me to stumble. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a born-again believer, and I'm, not, and I'm not immune to sin and the struggle in this world. But what's it like for somebody that has no faith at all? If I could wrestle with these forces that are against me, what is that struggle like for a brand new believer? Even worse, what is it like for someone who professes not to believe in God at all? For we believers, isn't that a frightening thought? To be in this world with so much against us? And what would it be like not to have the Holy Spirit to guide us? Not to have Christ in our life that died for us, that redeemed us? And not to know the creator of this universe? And not to have the hope of eternity with God? I know what my own struggles are as a believer, but the thought to know that the devil has won in someone's life and there was never a battle at all. That's just heartbreaking. Paul warns us in these final chapters in the book of Ephesians that we're at war and there is a battle before us. And we need to take a stand, but how? Paul had spent nearly three years in Ephesus working as a tent maker in the city market. And he had first-hand knowledge of the wicked practices that were taking place there. And it's clear why Paul wrote this letter to the church of, of Ephesus, as well as a warning to those to be on guard for this evil that's among them. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are what's called Paul's prison epistles. They were written while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And Paul writes chapter 6, especially for us, to be on our guard, to be ready for this battle that is upon us from seen and unseen forces in our lives. So, if you want to turn to your pew Bible that's in front of you on page 1245, we can, uh, you can get ready for that and we can, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you that this church, that we can meet week in, week out, all week long, we can have church on Sunday, we can worship you freely. Lord, I just thank you for that gift. Our world is closing in on us, Lord, and, and Lord, we, wanna, we want those freedoms to never end. But Lord, we will worship you no matter what. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for my friends, my family. Thank you for this church family. Amen. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 says... Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore fastening on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So this brings us to our first major point. My first major point this morning is we need to recognize the spiritual battle that is upon us and rely for the Lord for our strength. So we need to recognize the spiritual battle that is upon us and rely on the Lord for our strength. The first thing we need to see this morning comes from the first three verses. And Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says, Finally, be strong. How do we prepare to be strong? One definition says, strong, having moral or intellectual power. Another states, able to withstand grace, force, or pressure. Many of us take vitamins to be strong. Others run great distances to keep their bodies strong. Others lift weights to keep strong. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Isaiah 40.29 says, says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. To the reader, what these verses spell out is where we get our strength. Notice that these verses said that it is God that gives us our strength. In Philippians, him who strengthens me. And Isaiah, he strengthens the weary. Clearly, our strength is in direct relationship with Christ, who will keep us strong. And not relying on our own strength, remember that we're in this battle and this helps us to recognize our need to be strong. As, as I read Paul's pleading for us to be strong, I'm reminded, even in my own life, do I do the things that I need to keep strong? Do I constantly look for the Lord's strength, or am I relying on my own? Am I praying as I should? Do I read and study the word as I should? I'm in fellowship with my church, am I in fellowship with my church family as I should? Which brings me to verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to scan, stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, when I read this verse, I think, I think it was this word schemes that probably sold me on wanting to do this in the first place. Schemes. That word just jumps out at me. Schemes says 
to make plans, especially in a devious way, or with an intent to do something illegal or wrong. To think that Paul is saying that there is something, someone out there, that is against me. That there's something that's out there that is scheming against us is hard to take. And it's a bit frightening. I'm reminded of the cartoon. When I was a kid, my brothers and I, we used to love the Roadrunner. You, you all remember? I'm sure there's some kids out here that have never, have ever, has anybody here never seen the Roadrunner? Getting older, yes, beep, beep. The Roadrunner was a speedy bird that was always being chased by the scheming coyote. But in this cartoon, Wile E. Coyote was trying to catch and destroy the much faster, and I'll even say unaware, Roadrunner. That coyote was consumed with the thoughts about scheming and getting that Roadrunner. I do love that picture. Jason even pointed out the way he's got his tail on fire. I do love that. <laughs> at, le at least in the cartoon, after all the coyote's efforts of trying to catch that roadrunner, the bird always got away free and back to safety. And it's my fear that some of us don't get away like that character, back and free to safety. Especially as Satan is scheming against us. So have you ever schemed against somebody in your own life? I have to say, ashamedly, I think I have. At least I thought I have, not that I ever really carried it out. But it's that person that you want to see fail in your life. In some way, they've wronged you, and maybe you just want to get back at them. Sometimes those schemes can overtake your thoughts. Imagine what it's like as Satan is scheming against us. I imagine that it's his one and only desire to separate us from Jesus. And I'll say it again, what I fear of the devil in this world, to think that he is out there scheming against me daily is a bit scary. So do we really recognize that this is happening? Are we aware? I think that Satan wants us to fall asleep to this fact, and he wants to catch us off guard whenever possible. So again, so again, as in point one, we need to recognize the spiritual battle that's upon us and rely on the Lord for our strength. Are there areas in our lives that trip us? If we realize that there's someone out there against us, are we staying clear of the things that could cause us to stumble? What's your weakness? Is it anger? Is it greed, money, lust, pride, selfishness? The list can go on and on. And it's scary, because when I look at that list, I probably possess all of those things. Have we allowed the world to creep in too far to weaken us? But do we steer the bus away from the trouble, or do we let the potholes dent our tires? Honestly, the more I've been dwelling on these passages, the more it's made me aware what we're up against as believers. I can see it in my own life, and I can see it in the life of my family and friends. As we move on in the passage from Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this pre present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
To further illustrate this, and this one, when, when the Lord revealed this passage as I was writing, this one was just so chilling to me. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the work is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Returning to what Paul is saying, that our enemies are not material. They're non-material. They're not always visible. They're invisible. They don't have a body or physical form in their spirit. I knew, I, Paul knew what it was like to have physical and corporal enemies. He spoke of being beaten five times with 40 stripes, whipped, and three times being beaten with Roman rods. After all, he was in prison, and he probably really wasn't treated nicely by the Romans. But he's saying that the real enemies that he faced were invisible and unseen. Paul is saying there's a whole spiritual world that wants to attack us, wants to waste us, even destroy us. We wake up in the morning and the sun comes up and it's such a beautiful day. And we have so much to rejoice in and we really do. But as a believer, we still need to be cautious. The Bible says that we're in a battle. It's a battle with foes more powerful than mere mortals and more sinister than mere annoyances. So I'm curious and I'll ask, do we prepare? Because I know there are days when I don't put my helmet and my face mask on. I know there are days when I take it on the chin. There's days when I say, gosh, I had no idea that that was going to happen. I had no idea that that was coming my way. So my church family, I would implore you to take the daily necessary steps in this battle against our faith. Don't take for granted that we're all going to be fine because Satan does like to trick us. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what we take in. Be careful what you allow to touch your heart. Be careful our enemy is at work every day. And he doesn't take a day off. So just as we need to remember that we're in a spiritual battle, it brings us to our point two today. We must stand strong to withstand the devil's attack using Christ's tools for protection. We must stand strong to withstand the devil's attack using Christ's tools for our protection. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So first off, Paul says, hold our ground. Three times in this passage, he says, stand, stand firm, and withstand. 
Our spiritual warfare goal for the Christian is to stand and not fall. To withstand and not wither. So how do we do that? And Paul urges us that we are to use the armor of God that he spells out starting in verse 14. Remember, as Paul is under house arrest, he's constantly reminded of his captors. There's one of them. He's in prison and he writes, and he, as he writes, Paul's there and all of the elements of the armor are in plain view of a Roman soldier every day. And these soldiers are wearing the literal version of what he is spiritually speaking about. And he uses this imagery of the Roman armor as protection for we believers in this fight. And this is the part that we should all find encouraging. God gives us so much in this battle to be protected, and he gives us so much in this battle for us to rejoice. And just a Greek tidbit, because my Greek knowledge is so extensive, the Roman armor or panoply, which comes from the Greek word panoplia, is what to, is referred to as the full suit of armor. And Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. And the first element is to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Isaiah says, righteousness will be his belt and the faithful sash around his waist. One commentary that I studied said that you knew that a soldier was on duty when his belt was securely on tight. It's funny, when I first did the class, I actually ran out of the house and I didn't even have my belt on. And then yesterday I went to work and I, I, I lost one of the belt loops. I didn't have that in either. And I don't know, it's just funny, you know, it's a little unnerving, you know, feeling like you might lose your pants. <laughs> but under the armor, the Roman soldier wore at least one wide belt, and this protected his lower abdomen and held his outfit together and served to hang the other armor on. And Paul uses this image to represent truth, and he uses this imagery to show that when we don't speak truthfully, it gives Satan an open door into our lives to create pain and turmoil. We can't hope to grow spiritually and thwart the attacks of the evil one if we're not willing to live with truthfulness and integrity. So I ask, are we truthful in our daily walk? Do we talk truth or do we bend it sometimes? I always have to laugh as we talk about those little white lies. Well, you know, that one's not so bad. I can, a little white lie. And I know we all do it. I'll probably do it today. But do we allow some of those to water down our commitment to truthfulness? I hope not. The second element is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is referred to as the heart protector. And it was attached to the belt and protected the heart and the other vital organs. Righteousness defined acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt and sin. This breastplate symbolizes righteousness of life made possible by the new life created in us through Christ Jesus. By using the metaphor of the breastplate, we see clearly that it's our heart that Satan wants to attack. Our obedience and passion to the Lord can fade 
as our hearts are confused with sin, greed, lust, hatred, and immorality of any kind. But Paul wants our hearts to be protected. And the imagery of the breastplate allows the heart to remain safe. We've all heard it said, let's get to the heart of the matter. And isn't it our heart that Satan targets? I know that's his plan, to weaken us. The third element is shoes for readiness. Once the breastplate is securely on, the soldier puts on his strong army boots. The Jewish historian Josephus describes them as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails. And Paul warns us to stand and to withstand. And if this is going to be accomplished, it will be by by having a strong foothold on our faith with good footing, able to hold fast as the devil pushes against us. In my line of work, shoes are as important a piece of equipment as anything that I own. And they say in fashion, you can tell a lot about somebody just by looking at their shoes. If I saw someone coming at me with thickly studded shoes with nails coming out of them, I would know for sure that I was in for a battle. Do we all wear nail-studded shoes to be able to withstand the devil's pushing? Some days it's hard, but we really have to hold our ground. The fourth element is the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. If this isn't a stunning visual of what we're we're up against, I mean, flaming darts. The Roman shield is a large device that's four feet long by two and a half feet wide. And the shield would cover the front of the soldier. Grasping it with his left hand, he protected himself from the weapons of the enemy. Sometimes in battle, the arrows arrows were dipped in in a flammable substance before they were shot. But the heavy leather-covered shield would knock them down, extinguishing those flaming arrows. Paul referred to this element as the shield of faith. Faith in Christ, that is the shield against his onslaught. Satan uses these flaming darts at us to cause doubt. Doubt in ourselves and doubt in our faith. For us to be weakened by this constant barrage against us. Our shield of faith is our first line of defense against his schemes, against his insults, and against his temptation to sin. It is this shield in Christ that will keep us protected from the flaming barbs of Satan. You know, as, I'm, as we're, we're listening to the, the heavy weight, and I'm sure I'm listening, you know, looking at how heavy some of this armor sounds. You know, heavy breastplate, the heavy shoes, I mean, shoes with nails in them, that's got to be a couple pounds each. It doesn't sound like the light titanium and Kevlar vests that we know of today. And maybe that's why some of us fall away and stumble as we're unable to keep this armor on and in place as we're being attacked. The fifth element is the, hel- the helmet of salvation. And we are to take the helmet of salvation. That word take is, is said to, like, we received it, and we accepted it. In some of my research, it mentions that these elements are given to the soldier, and they're gi- just as they're given to us. 
In the dressing of the soldier, the previous elements were laid out for him by the attendant or armor bearer. But the helmet and later the sword were handed to him. And just as we accept salvation as a, as, as a gift given to us by Christ, in the same way, it's this helmet that protects our heads in this battle. In a real battle, if you're knocked on the head, you're going to be stumbling. You're not going to be thinking clearly. You're probably not going to do well in this battle. But doesn't it, but doesn't it seem as it's Satan that he wants to mess with what's inside our head? Just as much as what's outside. This helmet of salvation protects our heads from within. Satan wants nothing more than to create confusion in our minds, in our thoughts. And remember, he is daily doing this against us. Putting on the helmet of salvation keeps us grounded in the security of our salvation in Christ. Knowing that we have salvation in Jesus is the gift of hope, his gift, salvation. The sixth element is the, the sword of the Spirit. The final weapon is the sword, the word of God. There's no mention of the long spear. I know this, the soldier here has his long spear and his sword. They didn't need it as Paul was in prison. I guess they didn't need it indoors. But it's the short sword of the spirit that, the word, that is the word of God. And it gives us protection against Satan's attacks. Just as, as Jesus used the word of the scripture to repulse the tempter, in Matthew 4, Jesus says to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that comes from the mouth of God. So must we Christians use the word to drive Satan away? The commentary of, of uh, Simpson and Bruce says it this way. The Bible text smites the conscience point blank. Smites the conscience point blank or floors the self-righteous as no weapon of mortal fabrication would do. It is with the word that the Christian soldier is able to defend himself against the thrust of the evil one, and also to the attack false teachings which Satan wants us to believe. There are many places in Scripture where the sword imagery is used as the word of God. It is this sword of the Spirit that we can counter those attacks and the lies of Satan with the word of God. With this as our last weapon of defense, shouldn't we equip our lives with the word? The Bible talks about us having the word of the Lord on our lips constantly. Shouldn't we too commit to this word in our lives to fight off Satan's attacks? So we must fight from the Lord's strength. If we do that by fighting the spiritual battle with the use of spiritual weapons. Look at the imagery that Paul puts before us. The belt of truth, we should be truthful. The breastplate of righteousness for protecting our hearts. Shoes for our feet. Shoes for us to be able and ready to hold our ground against the devil. A shield of faith able to withstand the flaming darts for us to be able to stay protected when doubt and sin creep in. But to help us in our sinful thoughts, as well as Satan's temptations to our thoughts, the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, able to cut down our foes and able to protect against Satan's attacks. Now, the most important, powerful resource 
God gives us in this spiritual warfare is the invaluable tool of prayer. Which brings us to our third point of today's sermon. Above all, our greatest protection in this war is prayer. Ephesians 18 through 20 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I went looking for my water, but it's not there. (laughs) I love hearing new words and even trying to use them whenever possible. And I've been fascinated with that word, supplication. And I'll be honest with you, I'm fascinated because I've never used that word in my vocabulary. I don't even think once. I don't think I used it daily. I don't think I used it monthly. I definitely didn't use it yearly. Is that a word that we use? <laughs> Do we use that in our daily? I can't, you know. Anybody say it this week? <laughs> but I love its sentiment and meaning. And meaning. What's the, Bible, the biblical definition of supplication? Although it's a noun, supplication comes from the Latin verb supplicare, which means to plead humbly. While a supplication is often thought of as a religious prayer, it's used 60 times in the Bible, and it can logically be applied to any situation in which you must entreat someone in power for help or for a favor. Supplication is a form of prayer, but considered as kneeling down and bending down, in which somebody makes a humble petition or an entreaty to God. Sorry, Mike, it's getting a little dry up here. Tom, you must have taken my water away from me. You did. I knew it. I knew it. Your best friends, you know, sabotage. Were you scheming against me? Oh, my goodness. That's the best water I've ever tasted. So here we are being called into battle, which is usually would imply some form of aggression. And I would love to see all of you men here dressed in your full panoplia. I would love it. Tommy, Charles, John, I would love to see you guys, all of your knobby knees, that little skirt, the whole thing. <laughs> but we are to protect ourselves with the imagery of this armor. And Paul is calling us, to be, is calling us to be humbly asking for protection in this battle. We need to live our lives in prayer for this battle. So do we pray in preparation for, for what we're up against? And do we pray for each other? I know, it's easy to forget. I I do all the time. I'm sorry. Homer Kent Jr. states, A soldier may have the best of equipment and still be of no help in the battle unless he's deployed in the right place at the right time. 
praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I love this part. The believer must keep in constant communication with his commander in every season of conflict. Only in this way is he enabled to follow the leading of his master closely. And Paul emphasizes praying in the Spirit as it is the Holy Spirit indwelling within us that we have, that we, it will aid us to victory. Pray for one another. But Paul reminds us to also pray in supplication for the saints. That's you and me. We pray for ourselves, and that's a good thing, as the Lord wants us to pray for everything. To be aware of all the saints to the left and to the right. As in the battle, there are many prayers that need to be offered to the Lord. We pray for our church family and for the struggles that lie within. And Paul says in verse 18, with all perseverance making supplication for the saints. We, the Christian warriors, have a responsibility to be watchful of our brothers and our sisters. Because we're all in this same conflict. We have the ability and the responsibility to pray for those that are around us. Verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Look at Paul's unfavorable position here. I mean, he's in prison. And he's writing this letter, and he's saying, to pray for me. But he's not really saying, pray for me because I'm in prison. He says, pray for me because his biggest concern is that he wants to speak boldly for the gospel. To speak boldly on the behalf of, of Christ, even to his captors. I mean, I don't know. I think if I'm in prison, I'm not so sure that I'm praying for my captors the way it's illustrated here. Isn't it clear that we as mere mortals are defenseless against our adversary in this battle? And our only real protection is through prayer. So in closing, Paul makes it clear, Paul makes it clear that we're in this battle. And we need to recognize the spiritual battle that's upon us and rely on the Lord for our strength. Do we recognize the spiritual battle that's before us and that they're poised to harm us on our faith in Christ? If Satan wants us to be sleeping at the wheel, are we alert and expecting his advances to separate us from Jesus? Point two, we must stand strong to withstand the devil's attacks using Christ's tools for protection. Are we putting on the armor to protect us during this battle? Are we truthful, righteous in heart for Christ? standing firm, mindful of our salvation, repelling flaming darts that rely on God's for our strength. And above all, our greatest protection in this war is prayer. Yes, above all, we are petitioning God in all supplication for our own protection. Can we remember to pray for each other that it's our best line of defense? Our prayers will keep us in constant communication with our commander, the Lord Jesus, and the God of the universe. 
you know, I wanted to just return to the, the beginning of what I said, that, you know, this situation with me at work, it turned out to be the darkest week imaginable by Thursday. But by Friday and Saturday, everything changed. Everything. It, it, I, I know it was because of the prayer of family and friends and those here and people in my life. To think that, that the Lord hears our prayer is just an amazing thing. While I have felt for months that there was an attack. And to think that he took it away like that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I still don't know what to think of it. It's amazing. <laughs> but I wanted to thank you all. This has been a humbling experience for me to be here. And thank you for, for having me. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you communicate to us through your word, through your spirit. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my church family, the constant support, love, caring from, from the saints here. And Lord, I just pray that we, that we all remember that and remember each other daily, weekly. Give us those thoughts to be in supplication for each other. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. Amen.